Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the Riptide. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Brewers, it's time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer, this is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Greetings, cretins. Ah, there you go. Oh. oh, they missed a great show last show, Jamil, didn't they? <laughs> you have to point that out. Yes, we had an amazing show discussing uh, hops and uh, the latest in hops. And yeah, it was very dry. Hops with, with, but we uh, ran with it. Right, with, uh, with uh, uh, Brian from uh, Brian pierce from uh uh yakima chief and he was wonderful and it was it was entertaining it was informative yeah it's probably the best show we have ever done in our entire two decades of doing this one for the record books yes and one for somebody to hit the record button yes yes (laughs) god damn it (laughs) kick myself in the the peaches (laughs) for that one I don't know. I I don't know. I, I'm I'm verklempt. I'm uh, just uh, you know what I need is uh, John Blickman to come and give me a hug. There you go. Feel better yeah. about the whole thing. He would. He'd tell me I'm an idiot, but he'd uh, <laughs> he'd understand and he'd he'd you know give me a pat on the back and be just fine. He's good with those back pats. Yeah. <laughs> He, he likes patting the back. I'm just saying. Yeah. 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 Backpacks, expats, he does them all. <laughs> he will pat where he needs to pat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish Blickman was here. He's, you know, he's just so funny. I uh, bet he would have pushed the button. Yeah. You know, the problem was, uh, I'm going to pass a little bit of blame to Facebook where, no matter Always. what I tried, it was all like, no, sorry, Facebook not working. Can't You can't go live. And that really just kind of, because usually that's the first thing I do. And then I hit the record. But in this case, um, after t- trying like 10 different ways to get onto Facebook to post it and then having to delete my post that said we're going to be live. Uh, I, uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely their fault. You could see the little thing in the corner that says recording and hear the lady (laughs) announce it. You know, yeah. And and you could, you know, help me. It's like on the audio issue 
when we had these bad audio times and you didn't say anything. And people are complaining, complaining about the audio. Yeah. Let me see. We have some complaints here. Uh, let's see here. Uh, what's what's here? here. From Travis, was it? I don't know. Somebody uh, complained about the audio quality on a free show. You know, come on. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Uh, the title of his message is Moonlight Meadery. Oh, okay. That was a great show. It was, but apparently the audio sucked because Tom says, guys, love the show. Have loved it for years. Thanks for everything. I just had a message to inform the audio was terrible on this podcast. Really hard to listen to. Thanks, guys, and take care. Ah, that's too bad. Yeah, it sucks for you, Tom, because the audio was pretty good here. And yeah. uh, we enjoyed uh, talking to uh, Michael Fairbrother from Moonlight Meadery. Yep. But apparently there's been a couple of shows like that. And so this I'm passing on to you, John, because I cannot hear my audio as it's, right. as it's going out. And I can depend on you to say, hey, you know what? Your audio has switched sources and it's, it's uh, getting a bit echoey. Well, next time I hear it suck, I will tell you. Thank you. Yeah, next time. Then I'll remember to hit the record button. And okay. Together, we'll have half a show. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, today, your audio is perfect. Just like our friend, John Blickman at BlickmanEngineering.com. As right. I said, he's paying for the show. He is, uh, you know, just been a wonderful friend to home brewers and pro brewers alike. We've got a wide range of great equipment, you know, uh, you know the Anvil series where, you know, uh, sturdy, well-built equipment without great like, value, yep. yeah, great value because, you know, any fancy electronics and stuff on it. Well, some of it does, I guess, but it's, you know, look more, more function, uh, you know, and form and, uh, you know, quality and a budget price. And then, you know, uh, all the higher end, you know, yep. if, if you, if you, if you got the, that lottery money or that government money and you want to, you want to spend up, you know, there's the, the Blickman stuff. And then if you really want to throw away your life savings and open a brewery, something really stupid, like open a brewery, uh, Blickman's got his pro level gear and I would check it out. You know, whatever you're going to be buying to, to run your brewery, I'd, I'd at least give uh, Blickman a fair shake and uh, a shot at uh, earning your business. Uh, you know, they, they know what they're doing. Uh, they make great stuff. So, uh, and good people. Yeah. They build it, they use it. They, you know, they design it until they, they get it right. They, they pat it and they pat it on the back or pat it on whatever side right. it's patting. Yeah, yeah. Blickman, I, I know for a fact, Blickman pats every uh, piece of equipment that goes out. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So your piece of equipment has been patted by uh, John Blickman. She mm -hmm. gives it a hug, pats it on the back, sometimes a little low, you know, lower than is appropriate, <laughs> but, you know, gives, you know, gives a little pat there and then, uh, you know, and then it goes out, you know, it's sent out with love. Indeed. So, yeah. Uh, you can email John Blickman at feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com and tell him I, I said uh, thank you for, for the, all the pats that he puts on the uh, equipment before he sends them out. All right. Today, we're going to answer some of your questions. Uh, last year, we did stuff from uh, uh, pretty much the questions from a decade ago. Uh -huh. yep, yep. <laughs> now we're going to do questions from uh, a few months ago. Not too bad. Very good. Uh, eventually, we're going to get them all. 
I am bound and determined to answer every single freaking email that came in that makes any sense at all. It's going to get read on the air and we're going to answer it. So we're, we're only about 50 shows behind to getting that done. Uh, no problem. We will bring it on. We will get it. Uh, here, let's go to one relatively simple. Andy asks, uh, Hey guys, I remember hearing a show recently where Jamel talked about ramping up the temp to get fuller attenuation from the yeast. There was a certain time to do that. As I remember somewhere toward the end of high Croizen. when you ramp, how many degrees do you do it by how much at a time? I have a temp controlled fermentation temperature chamber. (laughs) If I'm fermenting at 68 degrees, how far up do I go and how long should I keep it there? Okay. Well, um, it, de- it depends. Let me let me give you the uh, yeah yeah the the standard answer. It depends. So um, yes, one of the things that happens is uh, as you're fermenting, the yeast are actually producing heat, and it warms up the fermentation, keeps things going. It's one of the reasons you need temperature control. And you reach a certain point where, you know, it's no longer exothermic, right? And right. Um, the, the heat is not being produced and it's part of the slowdown of the whole process and the yeast starts shutting down. If you're to keep that temperature up and give them a little bit of, you know, support temperature wise, you can get them to stay active a bit longer and be, you know, consume a bit more of the byproducts and the remaining sugars, things like that. Yeah. So dig into the maltotriose a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, you know, especially like loggers, um, you know, towards the end, instead of just, you know, r- drastically raising the temperature after fermentation's done, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of the old text and a lot of homebrew advice had you ferment it out completely let it sit there. And then once it stopped fermenting, raising the temperature for a diacetyl rest. Right. Right. Well, uh, and I think it's Narcissus or somebody where I got this from. Um, you know, I, I started following, uh, you know, starting cold and raising it throughout uh, lager fermentation, but you know, it was important to me to always, you know, be raising the temperature once it kind of peaked and the second it looked like it was slowing down in the slightest, I'd add a a degree or two and let that thing go up. And, um, you don't want to drastically cook it, but if you add a degree or two and just keep doing that each day, uh, you know, uh, Fahrenheit, um, Mm -hmm. maybe like a half a degree C, um, you know, it really just keeps the, the yeast a little bit more active. And so, uh, you know, especially on lagers, by the time you end up doing this, uh, you end up really having performed your diacetyl rest, and, you know, with the yeast as active as possible. So, yeah, yeah, um, that's yeah, why. Because the yeast don't need a separate temperature regime to do diacetyl uh, maturation. They are doing it just raising the temperature does two things. It helps to keep them active, as you say, and it helps the chemical conversion of the acetohydroxy acids to diacetyl to get it changed over so the yeast can actually pick it up. There you go. All right. Good question. 
Uh, let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll have more of your questions right after this. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all green brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new BrewEasy. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. I want to tell you about my good friends, uh, Josh and RJ at BrewChatter.com. They actually have a great website where you can order a ton of stuff, but they also have a, an excellent store just outside of Reno in Sparks, Nevada. And uh, you go in there, they got like a bar, they got like some outdoor space, they got, you know, a great place to hang out, sniff all the, I love going to a homebrew shop and sniffing the malts and stuff, you know? Oh yeah. And they got that. So if you're up there, go check them out and you can check them out online, brewchatter.com. Good friends of mine, Josh and RJ, real friendly, real knowledgeable about, about brewing. Uh, we uh, uh, brewed a, a beer with them. I think I mentioned it last last show, last show that got recorded. I mentioned we did uh, <laughs> Mo Horny with them. Uh, oh yes, so the Mo Horny be tasting Mo good. I'm I'm, I'm I'm pleased, very pleased. Uh, all right, this is our <laughs> next question. So I tell you, the font on this thing, <laughs> I got to learn how to print these things bigger. <laughs> it is so small. I'm having to wear my, my old man cheaters. Let's see here. Uh, episode 284. Hi, guys. Uh, Alton writes, love the show, and I am currently listening to episode 284. I didn't know the episodes were numbered. Did you? Me either. I didn't have, haven't paid attention to that. But. Yeah, there you go. So we've done at least 285 episodes. I'm just saying. Uh, I too have the Anvil Foundry system. Found it faster with some aspects of brewing with respect to propane and cooler brewing. Okay. So he's, I will translate for you here. Okay. Uh, Alton has found that the foundry can be faster in some ways than using uh, a cooler, a Mashton cooler and a, like a banjo burner or a jet burner on. Pokemon. Okay. But it hasn't shortened my brew day at all. All right. 220, 230 volts is the only way to go. Yes. But you either have to make a specialized cord to connect to your 230 uh, volt plug 
or you need to cut the cord and add a different connector. Yep. Uh, yeah, you have to connect it to electricity and depends on what kind of uh, connector you have. I thought uh, Blickman was including a, uh, an adapter, an adapter. Uh, he may be now. He, he wasn't initially. He was yeah. the, the instructions said to cut it this off. Is, and... Oh, well, th- that's fine. Yeah. I wouldn't mind that. Uh, but, uh, you know, the great thing about him is he listens, he learns, he changes, he adapts, he, you he know, does. constantly improving things. Uh, the higher voltage cuts heating time in half. Yep. Yes. One thing I didn't see addressed very much was that you need to stir the mash every 15 minutes and to be sure to sparge with enough water at a high enough temp to extract the sugars or you won't get your sugars. Hmm. Well, okay. yeah. Um, I'm not sure you need to stir the mash every 15 minutes. Yeah, it, it depends on what setup you have. Because I brew on a, a foundry as well these days. And uh, I've got the little recirculation uh, set up. little small pump that sits off to the side and recirculates. Um, that does most of your homogenization for you. Right. Uh, and when I use mine, I always do a no-sparge uh, method where I put all my water in and ahead of time. And so when I drain the grain basket, it's done. I just start boiling. I don't need to sparge. Right. Um, John because, also, yeah. Well, because, uh, you know, the whole concept of sparging is really Limited vessel size. It's cheaper to build a smaller vessel than a vessel that'll hold everything. Yep. And, you know, efficiency, trying to extract every last drop of sugar out of that malt. So you could make a, you know, 10, 20 beer, you know, uh, you know, 1.8 percenter and sell it, you know, yeah. blend it in. It was just to try and be as cheap as possible. It wasn't intended to make the best beer possible it was intended to be more efficient and stay in business yeah and one of the things home brewers need to learn is you don't always want to follow what commercial brewers do you it's not the best method sometimes to make the best beer like what john's saying is larger vessel include all your water get it all homogenous get all the you know and you know no sparge and you know you're going to extract you know a, a, a you know a richer wort uh for your needs right yep uh, less tannin extraction yep sorry so i cut you off Can continue on your process yeah so um yeah i i always have set it up so i simply have to raise the basket it drains and I start the boil. Now, John Blickman has in his instructions for the foundry, um, he has a limited sparge method as well, where you can sparge with say like a gallon uh, of water just to get a little more you know, wort out of there, out of that grain. Um, it allows you to brew a slightly larger or I should say a higher gravity uh, batch than you could otherwise, mm-hmm. because you can take advantage of the, you know, of uh, greater volume, but uh, you know, you can brew easily brew 1070 OG in one of these all in ones and it'll all fit. 
Well, right. I, I think he was uh, saying it wasn't saving him any time. Yeah. You know, the, the, the electric burners or the electric yeah heaters, I mean, even at 220 volts, depending on the batch size, depending on which propane burner you have, yeah, gas burners can heat faster mm-hmm. than electric. But uh, heck, the electric is really convenient. Yes. Uh, where you know I can I can brew in my garage with the with the door closed, mm-hmm. or I can brew in the kitchen, which you can't do with a propane burner. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't see uh, anything weird about that. Okay. Let's see here. Clayton writes. Let's say a question about home glycol. Oh. And asks. Um, uh, pardon me. No uh, can one of the shows on the Brewing Network talk about home glycol use, please? Your wish is our command, Clayton. Uh, maybe even bring someone in from more beer to discuss this. I am curious about the new brew built X1 Chronicles. And I'm not sure if I should get two of the plus models and a glycol chiller or even get the pro models that don't require glycol. I know other brands do glycol do require glycol like the Anvil brand. So maybe John Palmer can shed some light on an easy way to set up glycol in the home. I'm curious about how long glycol lasts. Does it get contaminated with mold or does it age out? Is it good for six months or five years? How do I dispose of it or recycle it? Mm. Also thinking of recirculating sub-freezing glycol through my immersion chiller to quickly chill to pitching temps. Is glycol good with all metals or better with stainless than copper? And how cold should the glycol be? Is minus 10 degrees, you don't say Fahrenheit or Celsius, uh, too cold? <laughs> Not related to glycol, I'm most curious on how those build, uh, brew built X1 Pro, how long do they expect those peltier chillers to last and how many, how many dollars are they replaced when they wear out look forward to this mm. show homebrewing is pretty advanced for pretty cheap so i think more people can benefit from this info than ever before he is very concerned about things wearing out yeah yeah um yeah i've actually looked into those brew built glycol chillers they're uh, pretty snazzy um i'm like many people, I'm limited in my available space in the garage. Um, the the wife has kind of kiboshed the idea of an additional uh, fermentation fridge. So I thought, well, maybe I just get a little glycol chiller. Maybe I can hide it behind these boxes. She won't really know it's there, <laughs> you know. But uh, I don't. I haven't actually purchased one. Now you use glycol all the time. Yes. Yes. And uh, so maybe perhaps you can address his uh, his longevity questions. Yes. yes. Um, well, and I think I have one of those brew built uh, things. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So glycol itself, um, it is expensive. Uh, you know, it's twenty dollars a gallon. I think I buy in bulk. I get it down maybe eighteen dollars a gallon. Okay. Um, which you use it at about a third concentration. So, you know, it's about $7 a gallon finished. Um, Doesn't seem like much if you need a few gallons for the homebrew, but here I've got about 2000 gallons. It really adds up. Mm. 
uh, it will go bad on you uh, uh, over time. It There's things you can do. So one of the things you do is you keep it clean. The more organic matter that gets in there, the worse, because that organic matter uh, breaks down, becomes um, acidic, releases a lot of acid into the, the uh, glycol. And then um, because of the bacteria that consumes the organic matter. Okay. And your pH, you want it to be around nine and then it'll start pushing the pH down. Uh, you also, if you're going to use glycol, you want to mix it with distilled water. You know, really don't want to use anything else. You don't use tap water or any of this stuff. The minerals are going to be a problem. So you want to use distilled water or deionized water for this. Okay. And, you know, you monitor your pH on a regular basis. And if it starts dropping, you know, below eight, you might want to goose it back up with some caustic you know, and try and hold the pH up uh, because if it starts getting much below that, it'll crash and then you have to throw it away and start over. Oh, So um, there's also inhibitors that you can add. There's other treatments that you can add to it. You can add, you know, um, a fluorescent leak detector, which is good because you'll be surprised how glycol ends up squeezing out here and there. No. The thing about glycol is, it does not carry as much heat uh, or, or have as much cold capacity as water does, um, but it doesn't freeze uh, at, um, you know, as uh, it doesn't freeze as easily as water. And that's why it's used. Um, you, I imagine there's a concentration you could use glycol at minus 10, but the problem with that is, um, it doesn't have much heat capacity. Yeah. I mean, you can use pure glycol, but it just doesn't carry that much, you know, uh, chilling effect. You need the water. So generally you run around 33, 35% glycol. And that gives you um, a freeze point. There's charts out there. It's somewhere around probably 20 degrees Fahrenheit or something like that. So you're not going to get to minus 10, but you, you could run some, you know, 30 degree Fahrenheit, 29 degree Fahrenheit, uh, glycol. So you may have to just pump it faster if, you know, to get the chilling effect you want, but that's as, about as cold as any brewery runs. Breweries right. generally don't run below, uh, you know, 28, 29 degrees Fahrenheit. Cause yeah. freezing is a problem. Yes. And it's just also, you know, the waste of electricity, trying to get it down colder, uh, you know, is, is a, a massive, massive chore. Uh, we bought one of those uh, brew built. Uh, it's like a, like a box kind of with like four outlets and some controllers on it. Right. Yeah. Yep. And like a three quarter horse compressor or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we bought that and we've got it hooked up to two five barrel fermenters and it will keep the, the temperature down. It won't get them down chilled to where we really need them to be, but it'll keep two five barrels kind of, you know, fermentation temperature controlled. Uh, we're, we're probably going to pull that out, mount it on a cart with its own dedicated five barrel. And I think that might work. Yeah. Because um, yeah. we need to be able to get the beer down to like 30 degrees. Uh, well, for two 10 gallon fermenters, it worked just fine. 
right? I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, what else do we have as a question? Um, so I, I, glycol generally, I think, is far more efficient and effective than the peltier chips. Which is, oh, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just more capacity, um, right? And the thing is, if you want to chill uh, your immersion chiller with glycol, uh, the reason a lot of breweries don't do that is because that's a massive load of heat all at once. And what you're going to find is that I think if you if you have like a reservoir to catch your glycol in, you could do this and you could take the cold glycol, pump it through the immersion chiller, catch it, put it back in your, your chiller, your reservoir, and then... Mm-hmm tomorrow it would be cold cold again uh-huh. um you can't just recirculate it back in because the temperature will rise quickly um and you, the chiller will not keep up with it yeah so that's the reason why it's not done if you pump hot you know boiling hot liquid back in there the chillers are meant over time to reduce a reservoir down to cold temperatures. And then you take a little bit of temperature off of those with, you know, your tanks and other things. But if you try and, you know, massively move it through that little pump that's in there, that little compressor can't keep up. Okay. Yeah. So that'd be the issue with that. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know how much it is to replace Peltier chips, but they're, they, they've come down in price quite a bit. You can find them on eBay. Yeah. Um, you have to find something that fits and matches up, but that's about it. Um, glycol uh, is it better with stainless than copper? Uh, definitely stainless. Copper, there's an issue with glycol and copper, is there not? I believe so, yeah. I think it's the the pH you have to maintain. Copper does a little better under more uh, or less basic uh, mm-hmm. conditions than right. More stainless. acidic. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, uh, you know, the glycol pH you're, you're striving for is like nine. Um, we have some copper uh, contact with our glycol where our uh, valves you know, just past the actuated ball valves, um, there's a transition from uh, the cool fit to the pecs, and those transitions are copper. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the only copper that's touching it, and even that I was kind of worried about. So, yeah, uh, no copper. All right, go. one more break, and we'll be back with uh, your questions right after this. Very good. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're taking your questions. Uh, when you send in your questions, uh, Brew Strong at thebrewingnetwork.com, uh, we eventually, uh, within a decade or two, will get to your questions. Sometimes we get to them immediately. Right. If they're um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it takes a decade or two. This time I just pulled questions from the earlier or the, uh, the most recent stuff. And last time I pulled them from way back when just depends how I'm feeling, but uh, good questions. Just keep them coming and uh, we'll keep answering. Them. Yeah. 
we only have 50 or 49 more shows to go before we caught up. <laughs> Let's see here. Mike uh, had a question about racking the beer before lagering. Uh, hi, thanks for your great show. I have two questions considering cooling the beer, specifically Vienna lager after a diacetyl rest. I know that cooling too rapidly can cause the yeast to express heat shock proteins, lowering the quality of the beer. Currently, my routine is cooling the beer at a rate of about 0.7 C every 12 hours. Then I lager my beer for a few weeks, and then I often reuse the yeast. Number one, is that cooling rate safe? Number two, if I rack my beer first or sometime during cooling to separate it from the yeast sediment, can I cool the beer more rapidly? Uh, what rate would not jeopardize beer quality? Uh, my concerns are caused by my space limits in a fridge, so I want to optimize it to use its use to brew my next batch more quickly. Brew strong, Mike. Okay. Well, yeah, I would think 0.7C is fully slow enough every 12 yes. hours. Yes. You can go 2-3C per 24 hours. Yeah. We do 6 Fahrenheit here, which is about 3C every 24 hours. We'll, we'll um, take 3 Fahrenheit off in the morning, you know, like 6 a.m., and then we'll take another 3 Fahrenheit off at 6 p.m. And we'll do that per day. And that's, that's fine. Um, I, yeah. I don't know if it's a heat shock pro proteins, but yeah, the yeast will express some of the compounds that they're holding on to, um, which maybe lipids and supposed proteins right, may, may uh, end up uh, producing, uh, you know, flavor active compounds. Um in the beer. So you want to slowly reduce your, your yeast. Um, like John and I are saying, you know, you can go three C per 24 hours. Um, so 0.7 per 12 is fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that cooling um, route safe. Um, if I rack the beer first or sometime during the, uh, cooling separated from the yeast, is that, allow them to cool more rapidly. The problem is there's a lot of yeast in suspension that you don't see. It may yeah. look like nothing, but there's still yeast there. So, um, and if you're slowly chilling it, I'm not sure you really want to take it off the yeast. Um, like Budweiser, one of the things they do is they boil these beechwood chips to make them fluffy. So there's a lot of, you know, yeast surface area because they want the yeast in contact with the beer. So if you remove the yeast, it, it, it it's yeah, not necessarily the best move. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. If you're doing a warm maturation um, and so you're, you're chilling and cool in lagering is simply for clarification, then you could get away with racking it ahead of time. But you're doing more of a traditional lager where it ferments and you slowly cool it um now wouldn't i wouldn't rack it first i would leave it leave it on the yeast right i'm with you there she get a string for those glasses you really wouldn't think keep picking them up <laughs> i need the ones that come apart and then i oh yeah magnetically clip them together <laughs> or i need to just print the uh the text on these things a bit, a bit larger that that would involve you know some sort of 
user interface on the computer. I this is this is about four point five. <laughs> yes, I would have to take the time to somehow make these things print. You know, maybe just have, you know scale it. Maybe use that little button that says scaling and just mm-hmm. that. You know, seems like work though. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm just not up to it. I'm not up to it. I could Amazon you one of those big desk magnifiers that you just got to swing over and put in front of it. There you go. There you go. Now you're thinking. Now you're thinking. Uh, Robert asked about hop utilization. Uh, he says, gents, a stretch I know. Oh, I mean, come on. We're gents. Yeah. yeah. We're very, very gentle. We're very gentle lovers. You know, so we're, we're gents. Yes. There you go. I finally got a live stream notice of your show in time to watch the taping. I see, you know, taping. We don't tape anymore. We we put bits it's all live to the cloud. Um, see the pants. I put, I put this in the chat. I wanted to back that up with an email. He wants to make sure we answer this one up front. I already know the real answer is brew the beer, taste the beer. And adjust the recipe based on the results of your tasting. There you go. He's apparently been paying attention. Yeah, yeah. That said, I would like to hear your thoughts on how to adjust hop additions when brewing at altitude. I brew at 10,000 feet where water boils at 194 degrees Fahrenheit, 90 degrees C. Uh, John cites Maliki and Shellhammer in his new edition of How to Brew that isomerization at 90C is half that at sea level. If I want to try a new style from Brewing Classic Styles, you say brew the recipe as published before changing things. However, is that the place to start for me? Should I just double the recipe's hop additions? Do you have any other suggestions? Well, for the bittering hop addition, yeah, you could double it and uh, make up the IBUs that way. Because, yeah, this model, which is a model based on experiments and, and data, says that the isomerization rate at 90 degrees C is half that at 100 degrees C. So you get half the amount of isomerization for the same amount of boiling time. So... Uh, as respected as these guys are, I just yep. don't believe this. And here's why. Okay. Well, I believe it if I had more information, perhaps, but I'm just not sure of the parameters of this experiment are as valid, maybe. I don't know. Um, did they actually go to 10,000 feet and try that? Or did in the lab, did they just use 90 C at sea level versus hundred C at sea level and see what the difference was. I'm guessing it's the latter. And because they did not have the boiling activity that actually kind of stirs things around. Mm-hmm. I think maybe that's why they experienced half. I know you get a reduction, but I would be shocked if it was truly half. Um, because what's going to happen at 10,000 feet is you're going to get the bubbling effect. You're going to get that stirring and mixing effect. Yeah. And the temperature is hot enough to isomerize alpha acids. Yeah. 
And I think, you know, it's a combination of the two. Now, if you're sitting in the lab and you just warm something up to 90 and it's, uh, the hops are just sitting as a sledge at the bottom, I'm sorry. I'm, but... I'm pretty sure they were doing it under partial pressure. Okay. And it, all right. And if I they remember, they're smart the... guys, so they probably thought of this, but yeah, I need to see the details of this experiment. Yeah, it's it's a you know a handful of data points, right. um, and but then you I, put it in your book, and it becomes gospel. Yeah, well, I put it in the book because <laughs> shortly after reading that paper, uh-huh. um, I was judging You're in drunk? Peru, oh. um, at at you around in Peru. Yeah, we were up in Cusco, Peru, um, and, you know, you're up at 9,000, 10,000 feet there. And uh-huh. a lot of the breweries were submitting beers to the contest for the, in the American IPA category that we're... But we're, were they local at that, at yes. that elevation? Yeah, yeah. There, was, there were breweries from 10,000, 9,000, 11,000 feet around us. That submitted beers. Did a sea level brewing brewery win? Um, well, as we were judging the IPA category, uh-huh. um, we marked beers down several times because they weren't bitter enough for style. Hmm. And you know that was would it have been the effect of altitude on your palate? I don't know. I don't know. There is an effect of altitude on the palate. There is. There is. Okay. There is. Uh, you know, oxygen levels are different and yeah. uh, you get a, a different effect on your palate at altitude. Yeah. Yeah. Well, be it as a pipe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that could uh, be a factor. Could be a factor. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Keep, keep going. Yeah. But that was, that was, that was additional experience that lent weight to this idea mm-hmm. of the temperature dependence of isomerization. Sure. Sure. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So yeah, based on, based on their model. Um, yeah. You're, you're roughly half the amount of isomerization at 90 C versus hundred C and that isomerization really drops when you hit around 175, you're at maybe 15%. Yeah. That the almost, almost completely shuts down. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And trickles off to trickles off to like 1% down around um, 150 mm-hmm. degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Well, then I believe that it's 50%. Uh, what would we do about that? I would, you know, maybe double the bittering hops or, you know, I would calculate, maybe I wouldn't even mess with that. I would keep all the other hops the same and just add a charge of uh, additional, you know, low flavor bittering hops uh, early on, or, you know, maybe even extend the boil out because time also can be yeah. in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, that or you could throw a lid on it and, uh, you know, <laughs> a little pressure that way. Huh? Yeah. A little pre-isomerized extract would pump up your bitterness a bit. There you go. Um, so yeah. the answer is, uh, just brew the beer and taste it and then make your adjustments. Um, he, he, he mentions that, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, you could try double ant, sure. Um, yeah, uh, that's interesting. I, I wouldn't have thought it'd be fifty percent, but I guess ninety C that is significant. I mean, for a lot of people, it's you know they're at altitude and it's like you know yeah, ninety five yeah. or ninety eight. Yeah. It's not not ninety. 
Right. Here I am, I'm at 2,000 feet, and I'm, my boiling point's uh, 205 versus 212. Really? Yeah. That's uh, much, much uh, lower than I would have thought it would be. Yeah, it's surprising. Yeah. Yeah, that 2,000 feet makes that much difference mm-hmm. in the lowlands. I'm probably at like two feet. You know. uh, my feet are wet most of the time, so I'm probably at sea level. Uh, well, and Robert says, by the way, I've been Pico brewing since 1981 when I was on an exchange tour at the Royal Navy's submarine headquarters. My colleagues just couldn't stand paying 35 pence for a pint. (laughs) (laughs) It was a can and a kilo just, uh, once before I found my local homebrew shop who got me on a better track. After many years, I upgraded to an electric 10-gallon Brew Easy in 2016. I even used the double mash from your show for my Russian Imperial Stout. Uh, you got an OG of 24.5. Uh, starting point was uh, 24.5 Play-Doh. Yeah. Starting point was your Czar's uh, Revenge Recipe. Thanks. Keep the great work. Cheers, Robert. Robert is a captain in the U.S. Navy retired. Thank you for your service, Robert. Um, Very cool. He still has a CompuServe email, so he must be closing in on 100 years old. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) A great email, Robert. And uh, thanks for making us. Yeah. Where's where's he at 10,000 feet? Um, Let's see. Yeah, I mean, Pike's Peak or. I don't know. Um, Robert, you should email us. And uh, he's only been waiting since 2017 for an answer to this uh, email. Email us. Tell us where you're at. And maybe John and I will come and brew with you at 10,000 feet. That'd be fun. We'll do some some boil experiments and we'll help tweak recipes. Sounds sounds like a blast to me. You up for it, John? Yeah. Yeah. I know you. All right. (laughs) One last break and we'll be back with more of your questions right after this. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. We're uh, doing some live Q&A after we totally dumped a great show about hops. I don't know. I just... Uh... It's going to bug you for days, huh? It's going to bug me for the rest of my life. It's like 50 years from now. We're going to be sitting around the old folks. How long? You're like, you remember that time? I didn't click the button. Yeah. We did a great show. Uh, Brian was very nice about it, though. He was. It's like, <laughs> I would have been like, you just fucking wasted that hour of my time. What's the matter with you, assholes? <laughs> Well, we're going to do it again next week. So if they stay we tuned. So graciously agreed to do it again next week. I'm just like, it's not going to be gold though. Like it was this time. It was freaking, it was perfect. That was a it was. show. He was wonderful. We were rolling. Alcohol levels were just right. Everything. They were. Yeah. Clayton asks, Hey, Jamel and John, when I bottle at home, I use a Blickman beer gun. I've been cleaning, rinsing, then sanitizing and leaving one inch of sanitizer in the bottle while I chill the bottles. That way I can give the bottles one last sanitize from the inside out. And I think filling wet bottle walls is less likely to knock CO2 out of suspension as I fill. But 
I was just wondering if minimizing sanitizer in the bottle could slow oxidation since the sanitizer will be saturated with ambient air, including oxygen. Uh, should I just sanitize the bottles, let them dry upside down till dry and then chill and fill dry? Is it better to minimize potential contamination than oxidation? I'm guessing the answer depends on how long I keep the beer and at what temperature, right? Generally, mm -hmm. I bottle, then put the bottles in a fridge till done, but I'm going to bottle an imperial stout. Obviously, a lot of residual sugars in suspension for organisms to chew on, and my fridge is full. So it will be kept at ambient temps. Also, probably around for a couple of months because nobody is knocking out two cases of imperial stout in spring, summer. Any advice there? Uh, probably too many factors. Just give me the Chris White answer. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it depends on the sanitizer you're using because some sanitizers are, you know, uh, oxidizers, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would think a, an inch of sanitizer sitting in there until the last minute is too much. I mean, I would dump you, them and invert dump it them. Out. He's he's inverting it and dumping it out. He's not yeah filling with it on top of it. <laughs> no, no, yeah. But he's not. he's concerned is about the the sanitizer cascading down the walls. You know, he lets it drip for a bit and it fills it, and it's still you know just slightly wet with sanitizer. Would you do that or would you let it drip dry? Well, with star sand, I think you can you can fill while it's still wet. Mm -hmm. um and that's the way i do mine it, they're they're not dry um you use iota for too and you know i pull them out of a bucket i completely submerge them pull them out of mm -hmm. a bucket let them drip for a bit on a on a bottle tree and then we'd fill them and mm -hmm. i mean never stop me from winning medals true yeah 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 and iota for would be more of an oxidizer right. than than a star sand right um yeah, I, I think uh, yeah, yeah, I think you can go either way. I, if you if you've filled these things with sanitizer and then you let them drip, and then you put them on a bottle tree or something, they're upside down. I think you're they're, good to go. Yeah, I mean they can drip dry. They could probably sit there for a couple of days. Nothing's really going to grow on the inside if they were clean to start with. Right. So the, the question is, are you reusing bottles or are these new bottles? If they're new bottles, there's really no problem. Right. If they're reused, you have to be careful that you clean them probably got the protein levels and all that all, layers, all, all that out of there. Cause whatever beer was in there before may have been contaminated, especially if you're reusing bottles from a competition, I guarantee you there's crappy beer in there that's contaminated. So you just need to be careful about, about that. So the new bottles, I think, you know, you hit them with some sanitizer and then, you know, load them up on a tree, get them all ready. And then, you know, just go to town. If there's a little bit of sanitizer in there, that's fine. But I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't have an inch of sanitizer in there, invert it, you know, just to pour it out and then quickly flip it around and fill it. I'd let right. it rip for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think it's a problem, but I think you you can kind of thin out your your beer and 
you know, I don't know. It's tiny amounts. It's probably unnoticeable. Yeah. Small amounts shouldn't be a problem. And I would, I would much rather drain than worry about oxidation. Yeah. I, 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 I don't think the, like you're saying, star sand or whatever is going to give you a lot of oxidation. It's a real fine layer. Hmm. Although, you know, liquids, liquids surprisingly hold a lot of oxygen. Um, and that can be a problem, but you let them drip dry. You know, it doesn't have to be bone dry. Just right. let them drip for a while. Turn them upside down. Um, he's turned upside down. He's he's chilling, pre-chilling the bottles. I never found the need to pre-chill the bottles. Um, I think if you use your your beer gun or your counter pressure filler, whatever you have, correct. And the beer's cold. Yeah. And if you make the beer really cold, the bottles don't need to be chilled. You, you can't use hot bottles, but you know, just room temperature bottles worked. I never, I never chilled the bottles and I had no problem filling bottles. So. Right. Right. Maybe a step you could save, you know, make your, your bottling day better. I mean, that's one of the problems is, you know, making, making this hobby easier and funner, not True. harder and more complex. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for today. Yeah, that was a good show. Yeah, it wasn't as good as the, the hop one that we just uh, we just did. But, yeah. uh, well, we'll we'll improve on it next time. We'll throw in a few more dad jokes and and <laughs> just ramp it up that much more. It's it's not going to be the same. That's that's the problem. All right. Well, make sure you support our uh, fine sponsors uh, that sponsored a show that you never heard. Uh, you know. <laughs> Yeah, we dropped gold about Blickman on the last one. Oh, we did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Lost forever. Uh, But, you know, keep listening. Keep supporting. Uh, You know, check out our fine sponsors, Blickman Engineering, BlickmanEngineering.com. The folks at Brew Chatter, uh, BrewChatter.com. Yeah. Until then, uh, Brew Strong, everybody. Brew Strong.